Welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Penn State fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues Podcast. Glad to have you all here with us. We missed last week's episode due to some scheduling conflicts, some things in life got in the way, but we are back. So Vince, uh, good to see you, man. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How you been? Doing good and a lot better that the air quality is better. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, now that the smoke is cleared out, we can finally all go back outside with confidence and go enjoy all the things that we love. So speaking of which, uh, how did you enjoy your race in New Jersey that you had uh, recently? It was really good. It was a great time. Uh, so if, if you if you didn't hop uh, hop on the pod last week, uh, doing Escape the Cape Triathlon, that's down in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And the cool thing about that race is you get to jump off the, uh, the Cape May Louis Ferry and it's kind of like an escape from Alcatraz vibe where you get to actually jump off the boat. You do your swim, bike and run. And, uh, I'm not in the best swim fitness, but the current was at my back. So that was really helpful. I, I like PR'd in the, my mile swim by like 10 minutes or something, just because the, the current nice. was at my back, even though I wasn't swimming particularly well. Um, and then, uh, pretty much tied my fastest mile per hour on the bike at 23 miles an hour. And then, we did a five mile run and the course is different than previous years. So in the previous years you'd run like on these sand sections, but this was like half of the run, half of the five mile run was on sand. So that was a, a pretty difficult challenge, but I had the fastest run split of the day and that was good enough to run me up into uh second place. So nice. Uh, just like uh, all of our favorite uh, Philly sports teams, uh, second <laughs> seems to be the theme for me in life this year. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, the silver medal is still pretty good. Uh, little side note slash question. Is that race also where your host bio picture on the website comes from? You jumping off that boat? Yes, that is the picture. And that was a really nice. cool story. So, uh it was uh that 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 year or that day was a crazy morning because uh there was fog so we couldn't start the race on time because like the lifeguards wouldn't be able to see swimmers in the water so eventually we had to do a shortened swim I, I think we talked about this last week and um the race director just like I was standing there ready to go because I wanted to be I was trying to like win the race I wanted to be in like the first couple people to go so I was kind of you know up towards there I've been waiting a while. And the race director just points at me. He's like, you, you're jumping off the boat first. <laughs> wow. And typically like they have a role that there's like no doing like diving or flips, but like whoever gets picked first always do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. They, they, they just end up doing that. Um, and like, <laughs> it was wild. Cause like, uh, I guess they, I thought I was going to be jumping off with other people. Like I thought we were going five at a time. Cause that's what they said at the race meeting. And they did the countdown and then everyone's like, go. So I, I like sprinted as fast as I can. Like I'm in like a James Bond movie. I just sprint and just jump as far as I can off the boat. That way I have to swim slightly less distance. Oh, very smart. <laughs> but it was, but yeah, I felt like James Bond just like running off an exploding boat or something. And like, yeah. it was definitely way scarier when I was running and jumping. Cause like I did it and I <laughs> felt like I was in the air forever. Like, yeah. 20 seconds like it, i was like in slow motion and then like 
this time I, I jumped off like with the group and I was like, I felt like I was in the air for like three seconds, which is like probably more accurate for, for jumping 12 feet. So it didn't feel like so as crazy as before, but you know, overall really cool experience. I'm never going to get a better profile picture in my life. That will be my uh, Facebook pro- profile. It just, I've accepted at this point in life, I'm not going to get a better on. And, and if I do, like I, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'll say that several times, but I, I don't think it's happening. Yeah, that's fair. No, it's a kick-ass picture and uh, even better story. Um, so, no, glad to hear it. Um, sounds like you had fun, though, and your lungs survived, which was the most important thing. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we can count count some small victories in all aspects of that. But, uh, you know, in these two weeks since we've uh, last recorded, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the world of Penn State athletics, both in football, basketball, um, and also some other sports, um, obviously your beloved track and field and all that. So we got a lot to get into here. Uh, what do you want to start with first? I think we have to talk about this football schedule because this football schedule is, is wild. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason to, to anything. So I think we got to dive down into this first. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, in case you've been living under a rock as a Penn State football fan. So uh, the big news out of the Big Ten in the last couple of weeks was that as of the 2024 season, the Big Ten Conference is going to be doing away with divisions uh, with the official addition of USC and UCLA to the conference. Um, instead, opting to have the two best teams meet up for the Big Ten championship game at the end of the regular season. Um, And so this is pretty momentous for Penn State in a couple of different ways. Uh, Number one, obviously, is that um, Penn State is not going to be facing the juggernaut of Ohio State and Michigan every season. So that's pretty big. Um, Another thing is uh, obviously the options and those opportunities to go out west to play those schools like USC and UCLA uh, with higher frequency than, you know, if USC and UCLA were put into, let's say, the West Conference and Penn State would have to wait for kind of the off year uh, with a crossover game to potentially go out to LA. So I think that's uh, some exciting opportunities for the players um, so I think that's, uh, it's, it's good for Penn state, but I also think it's good for the big 10, um, because you know, the big 10 East has run the conference, uh, for the large handful of the past, uh, uh, you know, past several years now with either Ohio state or Michigan taking the conference title, uh, with Penn state sneaking in there, of course, in 2016. So I think this is a good move for the conference, especially um, now that uh, they're going to be adding a couple of really storied programs here. Um, They're not going to be reliant on the West to kind of like produce a worthy contender uh, to all this. And obviously there's some like deeper levels to this, which we're going to get into with, you know, things like protected matchups. But what are your thoughts on it? I I do think it's good just because the Big Ten West seems to get a a free ticket. It it seems to be a different team every single year. And I feel like the Big Ten East, it's uh, you know, really difficult to get there. And you just see three Big Ten East teams every single year. All three of them are better uh, than the you know teams in the Big Ten West. Sometimes even Michigan State, you can lump into that category as well. So uh, really, um, it is going to be good to have some new matchups. However, I do think it is going to be a negative because in the Big Ten East, there are so many good rivalries that we will no longer have and look forward to every single year. 
Yeah, great notes. And I think that you make some interesting points there with the lack of rivalry games, because that's another uh, part of this conversation, which has Nittany Nation kind of in a lot of discourse recently about this idea of these protected matchups. And more so the fact that Penn State is the only team in the Big Ten, which doesn't have one under this new format. Um, so another angle to all this is that the Big Ten released a list of what they're calling these protected games or these protected matchups against different teams. Um, so even though these divisions are going to be dissolved, these games are always going to remain. Um, a couple being obviously the game between Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, they're preserving USC against UCLA, which is a, a yearly rivalry game uh, between those two schools, um, Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, to name another. You know, there's a couple of different ones, uh, Michigan and Michigan State. Like there's a couple of those different games floating out there. Uh, but what's interesting, though, is in the conference, Penn State is the only team to not have a protected matchup, um, which you can look at it a couple different ways. Maybe you see it as kind of like a slap on the wrist that the big 10 doesn't feel like Penn state deserves to have a protected matchup. Um, you could also look at it as like a, you know, Hey, like whatever we'll play, whoever comes our way and uh, we'll kind of in crawl and uh, claw our way to the big 10 championship game that way. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but all just kind of in a state of like being perplexed because when you look at all the games, it's like, the powers that be didn't think that Penn state versus Ohio state was worthy of being a protected matchup, but they thought Maryland and Rutgers was like, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that like we are Ohio state's rival, like anywhere near to the point of Michigan, because that would be folly to even say that. But I think we can at least hold a candle to the rivalry aspect with Ohio state closer than Maryland and Rutgers. So I don't know if I, if I'm crazy on that front. So, I mean, I guess I would say I'm kind of in the boat of like, I don't really care in the grand scheme of things. I was just kind of, it's just kind of weird that like we're the only team that doesn't have one. Yeah. I, f I found that really bizarre too. And the thing I found more bizarre, not just like some teams had one, but um, you know, you have Iowa over here with three protected matchups, like mm -hmm. you have Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, which those programs are, those are three programs that aren't at the top. Now, I don't think they're the worst programs like Nebraska has been kind of down there and Minnesota and Wisconsin have been solid at times, but you know, those are three games where they get to avoid the Ohio States. Those are three games where they get to avoid Michigan and USC. And I think that's kind of a little bit of an unfair competitive advantage. And now does that mean they're going to get a trip to the big 10 championship game? No. Uh, you know, they still have to win, win their games. You still have to play who's on, on your schedule, but you know, I do think it's, it is kind of unfair that, you know, some like Maryland, gets, I, get, I mean, Maryland gets to play Rutgers every single year. Like that's an easy win. Uh, so it is kind of annoying from that standpoint. Uh, but, but at the same time, uh, I, I think it is bizarre that you don't see like Penn state and Michigan state with the land grant trophy. That's Penn state's yeah. only trophy game right. that they have. So that's kind of bizarre. And, Michigan state is one of those teams who, even though they, most of the time they seem to be less talented than us, they still find a way to beat us and it's always a good game. happen. Yeah. It's always a good game. And, uh, you know, East Lansing, there's some voodoo magic around that field. And that's why I'm so happy that they're, you know, they're playing in Detroit and I think that should be their last game every year. I think it'd be really cool for them to be, uh, at Ford field 
every other year. And then in Beaver Stadium, the the other half of the times when Penn State gets to host. So I think that's really cool and really surprising me that uh, that wasn't up there. And, you know, you could argue other matchups for Penn State. You could argue uh, USC uh, just because of, you know, the history of the Rose Bowl. You could argue, uh, you know, Ohio State, you know, got geographic rivalry there. You could argue mm-hmm. Rutgers just because yeah, of geography. Even That's just, more yeah, of a... just that. Yeah, I mean, like, they're not a rival to us, but to them, we are, so... Yeah, and it's like, geographically, it's like, if you're, if you're going to try to, like, create these these rivalry games um, in the, like in these glass cases of these protected matchups, why not try to manufacture that between Penn state and Rutgers? Like why, like, why is that a bad option? Yeah. And I was really surprised out of this past season when we didn't play Iowa because Iowa seemed to be the one team from the big 10 West that we seem to play every single year. And I kind of like that idea of the rivalry developing mm-hmm. you got that crazy, uh, Juwan Johnson catch in the end zone with time expiring, uh, you know, Kinnick is crazy at night, just like Beaver Stadium. And I think that that whiteout is going to be a really awesome experience. Uh, so, but so like it is, it is weird. It's just very weird to see some teams have three, some teams have one, two, and then Penn State. Um, I mean, I guess we're getting what we asked for when we call our, call ourselves <laughs> unrivaled, but yeah. it is kind of bizarre that they didn't make us like pick a rival or even if we wanted one, they didn't allow us to. I am curious um, which side, which way it was. Did Penn state not want a protected rival or did the big 10 say, Nope, these are our rivalry games. This is it. I I would like to know what's behind that. Yeah, I know. And unfortunately it's likely a situation that we'll never uh, fully know, like what the dealings were behind that. I just, you know, it's like at the end of the day, it's like, if, Penn State didn't meet the criteria uh, for, you know, whatever they're looking for. Fine. But it's like, show me that criteria between Maryland and Rutgers. That that's my only thing. You know, it's just like if if you're not going to put us on the same level as Michigan, Ohio State. Fine. Completely fair. But there's a lot of other teams and a lot of these other protected matchups out there that kind of have me like scratching my head a little bit. But uh, I digress. So, you know, obviously still we've got some exciting matchups coming up here in the next couple of years. We got confirmation that we're going to have USC coming to Beaver Stadium in 2024. And I think everybody please, please be November. <laughs> yes, that's one thing we want it to be uh, late in the season. We want a cold Beaver Stadium. Um, I think number two, we'd all love it for it to be at night because maybe some night snow. Game, yeah, you know, God willing. And then number three, make it the whiteout. Like, it's like, you you know, you, welcome to the Big Ten. Like, we'll show you the very best, <laughs> like, that you're going to get in this new conference of yours. Like, come come enjoy. Um, but I think that would be awesome, too, like, you know, from, like, a fan perspective as well. Because it's like when we had Rutgers, or not Rutgers, Auburn fans coming uh, to the whiteout a couple years ago and then them, you know, kind of saying like, wow, this is like really cool. Like it's a little different from what we experience uh, in the sec, but this is like just mind blowing and stuff. I think the same will be true for a lot of guys out there. Cause I mean, they obviously got like a, a rich history of, uh, you know, stretches of dominance in the, in the pack 12 and stuff. So I think seeing that as like their introduction into like what the big 10 could truly be for them, I think would just be something really cool and really unique. So I think that, you know, in my opinion, I think that uh, the powers that be at Penn state probably already have that game circled as the whiteout. It doesn't matter when it is in the season. (laughs) They've just decided like, this is going to be it like period. 
Yeah, it has to be, especially with all the, the bad blood there, there is between USC and, you know, us losing that Rose Bowl with uh, Trace and Saquon and, you know, Sam and Darnold. And before that, yeah. Yeah, Mark Sanchez. So it's it's a it, – I, I think that that's going to be a good rivalry. They they did play when Penn State was not in the Big Ten earlier years, so they do have a little bit of a, a rivalry there mm-hmm. as well. But um, so uh, do you have any final thoughts before – I, I wrote down what I think would be a better Big Ten schedule than what the Big Ten created, and I did this in about five minutes. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. I'm excited to hear your thoughts here. Okay, so what I did for my schedule, um, this is off the assumption that there's going to be nine Big Ten games. So what I did is I gave three teams, per all, all every team in the Big Ten, I gave every single team three protected matchups. Okay. Okay, so... Then the the remaining twelve teams, you would pit play six teams one year, six teams the next year. You'd alternate home and away, so it would kind of be like the NFL, where like every four years the schedule kind of repeats itself. Yeah. So, okay. So this is what I have for every team's uh, first protected matchup, and you can let me know if I if I missed something or made a wrong call here. <laughs> okay. All right. So first, I have the game. So I got Ohio State and Michigan. No one's going to argue with me there. Mm-hmm. I have U- USC, UCLA, I have Indiana, mm-hmm. Purdue, they're big rivals. I got the yeah. Land of Lincoln game, Northwestern, Illinois, Maryland mm-hmm. and Rutgers are two mid-Atlantic teams who are very new to the Big Ten, so I left them to be together. I got Minnesota, Wisconsin, the battle of uh, Paul Bunyan's axe. I have Iowa, Nebraska, they have a rivalry game. I think it's like the, the Heroes game or the Heroes Cup or something like that. Right. And then last, I got Penn State, Michigan State for the Land Grant Trophy. How does that first round of teams sound with a protected matchup? Good and logical. So these are all pretty much rivalries that they already have. So it really baffles me that the big, <laughs> the minds of the Big Ten couldn't put this together. It yeah. took me about like 30 seconds to just go through all the teams. I know. Okay. Now, here's my second rival. So this is the second protected game for all the teams. I have Michigan-Michigan State, the big in-state rivalry. Yep. I have Minnesota-Northwestern. So you got kind of Chicago-Minneapolis, um, two Midwestern cities battling it out. I have Illinois-Wisconsin. Both of those are kind of, kind of the same vibe. Wisconsin has like a little rivalry with Illinois in the Midwest. I have Rutgers, Indiana, just because those are two more basketball schools. I have Iowa, Purdue. So you have Iowa with all the crazy things that happen in Kinnick. You have Purdue with, you know, the craziness of them, like upsetting uh, Ohio State. So you got the spoiler makers. You got Kinnick. uh, You got that rivalry going on. I think that could be a good one. I have Nebraska, Maryland. They're both relatively new teams. I have Penn State and USC as my second protected rivalry game. And then I have Ohio state and UCLA. I think that could be good. Uh, Ohio state lost to Oregon, which is a PAC 12 team a couple years ago when uh, CJ Stroud was a freshman. So I think that's another potentially good matchup. So we get a West coast team. Ohio state gets a West coast team. What are your thoughts on round two? So if uh, if I had to guess, um, you're going to say Penn State, Ohio State in round three, um, which if that's the case, then uh, the thing I'm about to say is is kind of moot. But I, w- I would kind of say that, uh, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, like even though the record is is pretty lopsided in Ohio State's favor, I would still put it as like the number two. But I do mm-hmm. like your your thinking, though, like with 
uh, Penn State, USC, like there's an interesting angle there that hasn't been fully explored, like from a rivalry aspect, because we just don't play them as often. But, you know, we played them enough, like where there's some history to kind of uh, build that narrative, build that storyline. So I'm not going to fight you too much on it. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like it's one of those games where um, they don't play much, but when they do, it's like it's on like it's, it's, on. Epic. it's always, yeah. always a competitive game. And, uh, you know, so I think that that's that's why I garnered no, the number two spot. Yep. All, All right. right. And here here's my last protected one. I got Penn State, Ohio State. So I don't think you're going to argue with me too much on that one. I got uh, Michigan, Minnesota, the, the, the uh, little brown jug game. So that's a rivalry game. I have Illinois, Nebraska. Rutgers, Purdue, both basketball schools again. I have Maryland, Indiana. Uh, again, kind of the basketball schools kind of going at it in football. And this one I think could be really fun. Uh, UCLA and Michigan State. They're both more known for their basketball program, but they're both like pretty solid at football. So I think that could be kind of a, a rivalry that kind of flourishes uh, throughout the years. I have Iowa, USC. USC getting the Kinnick experience, I think would be really cool. And then I have a uh, Northwestern Wisconsin again, Wisconsin has like a little rivalry with like Illinois and, and things of that nature. So that's why what I did. So did I mix anything up, uh, any of the big 10 West or East that you think should be different or did I do a good job here? No, I think you did a pretty good job. I think the, the one that might be up for debate if you kind of threw this out to the masses might be, uh, having USC versus Michigan as that uh, third protected matchup, um, just because I think there is enough like history between Penn State and Michigan um, to kind of warrant that, you know, dating all the way back to like the famous drive of 1994 uh, when Kerry Collins led them against uh, uh, led them to victory against the number five Wolverines in the big in the big house and stuff like that. Like there's like certain storylines like that mm-hmm. that I think you can draw upon. However, um, I think you know it's probably going to be a 50 50 split of like people being like, no, we have to play Michigan or like 50% of people being like, no, you know, like let's explore like this new thing that we can, you know, kind of build upon. So, you know, I think that's uh, that's like the only coin flip, but I think you nailed the rest. Okay. Yeah. And to make that work, we would have to move Iowa up to Minnesota. That would actually work with how I have it lined up. And then you could have Michigan USC, but then I feel like UCLA definitely gets a tough schedule with uh, us Michigan and uh, UCLA every single year, but uh, it's USC. I don't feel too, I wouldn't feel too bad for them, but uh, yeah. I did, I did put Michigan, Minnesota just because they do have a trophy game. So I did. That is true. Warranted. Yeah. And then I think Iowa was a big opponent for USC that I think would be a, a cool matchup. Cause like USC has their matchup with Notre Dame every year. That that's another big uh, game in college football that they have. So that's kind of the, the, the vibes I was going for, for USC. Um, I think you could maybe try to fit, you know, Michigan in there with Penn State. I think you could look at Iowa just because of all the good games we've had with Iowa over the years. Even in basketball, when I watch them play, it seems like they go to overtime or it's only a couple points. Basketball is always exciting between Penn State and Iowa. And then, you know, just for geography, you could argue Maryland and Rutgers for us as well. But again, you know, for us, we're at the, they're at the very bottom of our totem pole in terms of rivals. I know for them, we're, we're at the, you know, very top as you, you know, hear their fan bases, you know, chant, chanting F Penn state and, you know, yeah. all this uh, crazy thing that crazy things that they do, but you know, that's what they do. We, we don't really care about them too much. Uh, we, we take care of our business and uh, 
have bigger fish to fry. So that <laughs> is my right. schedule. That took like me it. took me maybe five minutes to make up, and I found every single team uh, three protected opponents without repeating. So yeah, kind of odd that the you know all the best minds of the Big Ten couldn't do that, and it took me five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I uh, like I said, I I don't think we'll ever know the full picture of how those decisions uh, took place. I think that your schedule makes a ton of logical sense. Uh, so you know, we'd have to like compare notes with the the new commissioner of the Big Ten or whoever was in that room to discuss and be like, listen, like what the heck? <laughs> so uh, this this it kind of like brings me flashbacks of when. Penn State first or when the Big Ten first uh, started rolling out divisions with like the leaders and legends division like there just didn't seem to be much like rhyme or reason behind uh, those divisions they just kind of were created out of thin air like yeah. this, this kind of has like a similar feel to that but regardless so um, obviously there's going to be a lot of intrigue uh, in 2024 not only because of the new teams joining the Big Ten but also because of this massive shift in the scheduling so uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing how the 2024 season shakes out. Um, when we're going to see USC coming to Beaver Stadium, there's going to be a lot of interested people uh, to see when that's going to be. And I'm sure that the town of State College is going to be eagerly awaiting that date as well, just to see their, the money that the town is going to receive just go through the freaking roof. <laughs> Dude, those uh, hotel prices are going to be insane. insane. Yeah. Insane. Like probably more expensive than the game tickets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. Um, yeah, so I think that, uh, this, this is going to be, it's going to be a landmark year, uh, for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because that's also going to be like year two of Drew Hour, uh, behind the helm, um, very experienced, uh, duo of great running backs, um, just a whole slew of talent everywhere that you look. So it'll be very interesting, uh, because I think that we're going to be welcoming, uh, USC when, we're just about as good as we possibly could be. So I think there's that aspect of it as well, but um, got anything else on this or do you want to talk about some high school quarterback news that I got for you? Oh, I heard some uh, good things about Mr. Grunkemeyer. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, so the new incoming QB, Ethan Grunkemeyer of uh, this next upcoming recruiting class after the addition of Jackson Smolik uh, following, of course, Bo Prabula and Drew Aller. Uh, Ethan made it to the finals of the Elite 11 competition, which, uh, if you're unfamiliar, is kind of the premier uh, high school quarterback competition in the country. Um, it's by invitation. You have to uh, be kind of brought in, and there's different rounds that you have to go through and perform at these different camps to then be selected for the next round. Um, and the reason why this is uh, kind of significant is because Basically, any kind of household name quarterback that you've seen in college football over the past, we'll say like 10 years, has been represented in this competition. So you go back to like uh, Bryce Young, Elite 11. Um, you mm -hmm. go to, I'm pretty sure like Anthony Richardson went to Elite 11. Um, Christian Hackenberg, you know, go back to Penn State, Elite 11. Like there's, there's so many names out there that I that I can't even remember. I mean, it's like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, uh, uh, CJ Stroud, like all the, any big name quarterback that you can think of has competed in this competition and 
basically we're all locked to make the final roster. And that is like the final 11 quarterbacks that they deem to be kind of the quote unquote best of the high school quarterbacks in the country. And what's really significant about this uh, past competition is that Ethan Grunkemeyer made the final roster of quarterbacks in this most recent competition. Uh, so that's awesome just for him on a personal level. Um, he was competing with the best of the best in the country, um, including quarterbacks like Dylan Riola, who's uh, committed to Georgia, Julian Sayan, who's committed to Alabama, and Aaron Nolan, who's committed to Ohio State. So, I mean, these are the premier uh, program incoming quarterbacks that he's like just going toe to toe with. Um, so that was really huge. Um, obviously, falls in the footsteps of Drew Aller, who was uh, named to the finals roster or to the final roster in the 2021 version of the competition. So there's uh, Penn State's building kind of a legacy of these uh, quarterbacks um, coming in um, who just have these who's just shown to have the right stuff in high school. Um, and what's kind of a little interesting, too, there as well, with like the connection between Grunkemeyer and Aller is that they both work under the same quarterback coach. So the same guru who took Drew Aller and made him a five star quarterback is also working with Grunkemeyer. So there's a lot of people out there saying that. Uh, so right now, Grunkemeyer is listed as kind of a, uh, a unanimous like three star recruit. They're saying it's only a matter of time before he becomes a four star guy. Like that's the kind of improvements yeah. that he's making. So it's almost like an hour like. Uh, trajectory that he's following here. Um, so that should just get Penn State fans excited. Um, you know, we want our guys to do well for themselves and to represent, you know, not only their abilities, but also kind of what they're going to bring to the table uh, on the field for Penn State. Um, so this is just pretty cool on multiple levels. What do you think? I think it's awesome. It's making me think of that Dennis Reynolds quote from that one, It's Always Sunny episode. And he's like, I'm a five star man. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he is a five-star man. Like we we got to give Ethan Greckemeyer, uh, you know, his credit as well as the, you know, the Penn State coaching staff for almost finding this diamond in the rough and again, you know, yeah. really getting it right. And right now he's only a th you know three-star recruit. And I think I saw a graphic that was ranking you know the top eleven quarterbacks, and you had Greckemeyer number one at the top for Penn State, and mm -hmm. then you had like Georgia and Ohio State quarterbacks, you know, just right behind him. So. Uh, I thought that was really cool that he he was the guy out of everyone, the three star guy, just outperformed everyone at this camp and uh, earned the number one ranking. So to me, that was really cool. Really good job on Coach Franklin and the coaching staff. And you know, hopefully NIL doesn't you know mess up things. And then he goes somewhere else. Hopefully he just stays the course, and we see him in the blue and white. And maybe he'll be uh, you know the successor to Drew Aller. It's kind of crazy to think. I mean, uh, I mean. We were talking a lot, you know, last season kind of about the lack of depth that we were likely looking at at the quarterback spot after Sean Clifford left. And then you had uh, Christian Veyu leaving the program. So kind of left a little bit of a gap. Seems like that gap is filling rather quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it comes down to recruiting. And, uh, you know, that's the reason Coach Franklin is the the head football coach of the Nittany Lions. Uh, he was brought here because he was a great recruiter and, you know, those dividends are paying off. So yeah, you know, kudos to not him just for being able to recruit, but, uh, you know, for the, that scouting team for being able to find the talent. Absolutely. And I think Yurcich uh, deserves a lot of props here as well, because he's been really instrumental with uh, bringing in not only Aller, but also evaluating guys like Smolik and now Grunkemeyer uh, to bring them to Happy Valley. I mean, 
um, you want to talk about like diamonds in the rough, like these are two guys that fall that fall into that same category. So um, Yurcich, uh, I'm I'm expecting big things, you know, this this upcoming season. It's like you wanted your Ferrari. You got your Ferrari, man. Let's uh, let's see how it runs. Yeah. And I heard some really good things about your just because I, I think he had uh, early connections to Shippensburg University. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our friends went there. He, you know, he did football in, in high school and did, did track there. And his roommate, one of his roommates was the quarterback and he was trying to get into the NFL. So really talented. And he was like, Mike, your is like the smartest guy. Like he's so smart. Uh, so yeah. that's really the, you know, through my, uh, you know, six degrees of separation. That's the only thing I've heard about <laughs> him. And yeah, he, I, I think, uh, I, you know, I think, I think it's fact and not fiction. I, I think this one's a fact you see him bringing good quarterbacks they're doing good things. So, you know, all the credit to him. And I think he's one of those guys kind of like Manny Diaz where we, and, uh, you know, Jawan Sider, where we have to be really, um, doing everything we can to try to be, keep them in blue and white because other programs are going to be coming for them very soon. Yeah, no doubt. We got to be counting our lucky stars. So um, obviously we will want to, you know, kind of make the most of his time in Happy Valley, but obviously we'll be happy uh, for as long as he wants to stay. Uh, so you ready for some additional recruiting news? Yeah, get, give it to me. What, what's up cool. next? So the latest thing that's come through the pipeline actually happened earlier this evening. Uh, four-star wide receiver out of Roman Catholic in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Tizier Denmark. Uh, chose the Nittany Lions as his next destination after high school. He was a recent Oregon uh, commit, um, recently decommitted from the Ducks. Um, There was a lot of expectations that he was going to choose the Nittany Lions um, as his next team. Uh, So obviously those predictions came true. Uh, Committed earlier this evening. um, And what's really kind of cool about all this is, you know, not only does Penn State get another uh, four-star blue chip wide receiver to add to um, a very talented room and a ta- and a room that's getting even more competitive uh, since Penn State has been so active in the transfer portal um, the last couple of years at that position. Um, this is really kind of the first domino with new wide receivers coach Marquez Hagens. You know, we haven't seen a ton of movement on the recruiting side of things as far as commitments uh, from the receiving side. Um, a lot of that probably being due to Hagen's uh, coming into this role after the conclusion of the season, uh, going to get his feet under him, like from a recruiting standpoint, all of the big name re- uh, receivers out there likely had um, somewhat established relationships with uh, big name receivers, coaches around the country. Um, so you, you've got like your guys at Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, um, USC and Oregon all going to be like grabbing those guys because of the um, kind of the clout that those programs bring and the level of coaching that they provide. So I think this is just Penn state making a big stride in that direction to make sure that they're on that same level. Um, so I think this is going to be the first of a couple of wide receiving, um, commitments to fall for Hagen. So I'm just very excited to see, uh, what the near future holds because they've also been, um, hosting a lot of, uh, recruits on official visits the past couple of weeks. And, uh, the buzz is that Penn state's kind of in the driver's seat for a lot of them. So I think this is going to be, um, a big one that's going to be in like a series of, uh, new guys to kind of join the fray. Yeah. I think this is something that's really needed to, uh, you know, I think if you're looking at weaknesses in terms of roster or maybe, maybe unproven is a better word. I think the wide receiver position is one you could look at. Um, 
mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of guys like Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, uh, you know, Dante Cephas. They're going to be a lot of new names. Uh, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith is kind of the, the one guy who's coming back that we know, we know, we know what he can do. Yep. But the tight end position, we're, we're kind of unsure of what we're going to get. Uh, we don't know what, how Theo Johnson's situation is going to play out. So, um, you know, one way to kind of help with that is to get some good wide receivers. That way you can kind of you know spread out the field because we have so many fast guys that you have to be really concerned uh, with the speed that they can bring to the field and the separation they can create and, you know, have the threat for a uh, you know, big play opportunity down the field. So I think that's uh, one thing that I'm really uh, happy to see and I think can help this football team improve. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, you know, the the receiving or the wide receiver is such a, a premium position um, at any level of football. So the more guys that you can add uh, to your group that can potentially be that star playmaker that Penn State has looked for um, in the past couple of seasons and the likes of Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington and um, a slew of other names, like the better. So really happy about that. Um, some other uh, commitment news that have happened recently uh Penn State, you know, kind of continuing that uh, trend of four-star blue-chip guys. They secured um, a commitment from four-star safety, Vabar Vaboe Torre, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and if I'm not, <laughs> I apologize. Um, you know, this is a guy who um, a lot of the scouts have been looking at uh, being very versatile, um, can come and play up if needed, um, can play different uh, positions in the defensive backfield. So uh, Penn State seemingly adding another dynamic playmaker in the defensive backfield uh, gives me some kind of flashbacks to Jair Brown, which if we can add more Jair Browns to the Penn State roster, then I'm certainly not going to complain about that. Um, so that's uh, that's huge. Uh, Penn State did, however, lose the commitment from Florida offensive lineman Derek Plaz uh, shortly after he announced his decision to commit. Um, he hasn't ruled Penn State out as the option uh, for his his college team. Kind of said in his uh, announcement, his decommitment announcement, I guess I'll call it, is that um, he uh, seemed he felt like he rushed his decision, whatever that means. So he's going to be opening things back up. Uh, but you know, these things are are difficult uh, for a seventeen or 16 year old in certain cases to kind of uh, finalize exactly like what they're going to be doing for four years out outside of high school. So, you know, it's whatever, it's just the same. It's uh, you know, kind of the flow of uh, high school recruiting into college nowadays, but uh, Penn state is still on the up and up. Yeah. And it, it is kind of bizarre just because it's like, you can take your time. Uh, you yeah, don't have I to know. sign your NLI till, January typically that's when I kind of got my offer in uh when I when I was doing collegiate athletics and in, in high school so I couldn't sign commit I couldn't sign the piece of paper until I think you know January so you know there is there is no rush I mean yeah you can verbally I mean commit but if you're not sure why why do that and you know there's got to be like some study out there or like somebody has to have asked this question um somewhere along the way because it it just almost seems like now there's like such a culture of like committing early because you know you have the option to like decommit so it's like almost like a weird like stepping stone in your recruiting journey where it's like you almost want to like double down and know if you really want to commit somewhere or if maybe like you're able to kind of gauge the reaction to see if you want to test the waters elsewhere i don't know because i mean obviously i i'm 
I was not like a, uh, recruited high school football player or, you know, athlete in general. So I can't say one way or the other, but it is just like strange. Like, cause you're 100% right. Where it's like, you have all this time, like if you want to whittle down your schools and like really make sure then like go ahead, you know, there's going to be space for it wherever you want to yeah. go. So it's, it's just odd because it happens like with, you know, the, the premier guys too, like all these like five star plus guys who, you know, are choosing between like Alabama, Georgia and like Texas and Ohio state or whatever, like they're flipping their commitments on like the last day as well. You know? So it's just, it's just kind of a weird like era of recruiting and commitments. Yeah. And that's why I kind of, before we started this podcast, I've never been a big high school recruit guy because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they haven't signed the NLI so they can just change their mind whenever they want. And, uh, yeah. I think it is kind of bizarre to see him do it with less than two weeks after committing just because yeah. I, I can understand if you want to commit early that way, you know, you're kind of almost guaranteed that scholarship spot and you know, the coach isn't going to give it to someone else because they can only, you know, have X amount of players at each position. So like, I understand if you get a great offer from Penn state, you want to take that spot, but also like part of me is speculating and be like, being like, oh, what if he's getting better NIL offers from another program where he thinks that that program's NLI might be better, uh, even though he might like Penn State better. And yeah, I feel like it's almost be almost becoming like a money ball situation, kind of like, you know, uh, Major League Baseball, where they don't have a salary cap. And I think you're going to see that this is the new college football. It's uh it's not going to be like the NFL where, you know, any team can be good. Like the NFL is very fair because they have salary caps. You can only, you can't keep all your best players, um, you know, drafting, you can draft a player. Whereas college is very different. You know, you, you can get have as many five-star guys as you want. So, you know, yeah. that, that, that's where, you know, I, I think it'll take a while. If, um, if teams want to catch up, they can try, but, uh, I don't see teams like, you know, Indiana Rutgers catching up anytime soon. Yeah, no, I think that's uh that's a great point. Um, but I also think that that's a great segue uh, to this next bit of news. Um, and it it's in regards to Penn State's effort on the NIL front. So obviously there's been a ton of discourse around Penn State and, and NIL with kind of a renewed spotlight put on it um, with the departure of Micah Shrewsbury from the basketball program and, Penn State seemingly lack of effort on that front being a huge determining factor in Shrewsbury leaving for the Fighting Irish. Uh, and so very momentous news uh, from the athletic department in the last couple of weeks was the unveiling of the new uh, combined NIL collective for Penn State titled Happy Valley United. And um, the way that they kind of describe themselves is as a uh, a um, collective that is committed to growing Penn State's presence in the NIL world, um, at least from you know their initial description of themselves, seems like there's going to be kind of um, a special emphasis on football, uh, kind of like a you know kind of a, a small section of the collective that's like dedicated to it. Which you know it's you can think of whatever you want about it, but at Penn State, football is the big money maker, so that's going to be that it's always going to be that way. Um, but you know, I think that this is this is good on a, for a number of reasons um, for Penn State to just kind of remain competitive in this new era of college athletics. Um, and also, it's been very well received by the Penn State athlete community, um, you know, with uh, for obvious reasons, but also 
one thing that they all seem to be really jazzed about is the fact that this is going to be kind of a way for them to connect with the community. So not using NIL as a way to um, improve their own financial status, but also to like work in the community that they care so much about, uh, kind of give back in like special ways that NIL um, is going to allow them to do so. So I think that's uh, pretty cool. You know, it's going to, I think it's going to spawn a lot of really great things, um, a lot of really great like movements and charities and just things that these athletes care about. And they're going to be able to make um, like an impactful change uh, in the world that they uh, really want to. So, you know, that's a, that's a bit like a, profound, <laughs> I guess, but, you know, I mean, just huge news in general, just, um, as far as Penn state kind of making that leap into the next phase of what, uh, what a top tier athletic department looks like. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great, uh, that they're trying to do some things to benefit the community. Um, I know Penn state, uh, oftentimes sometimes isn't the most community friendly. Like I know we used to have a sprint triathlon, and it was an awesome race that we used to have, you know, on a you know Sunday in the summer. And um, they were just not letting us, you know, do this race, even though like the YMCA was offering to like pay them or local YMCA to use it. So like as some be, being able to do something fun for me and then like not being able to do that thing that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. So it, it is nice to see Penn State doing more of these things to like give back to the community. Um, so I think that's really cool. And then also I, I liked that. It, I feel like this is going to be like our new catchphrase being like helping all 31 sports. Like <laughs> I think that's going to be good for the, the basketball program as well. Yeah. Uh, yep. so you know, really good to see that, you know, it's going to help all, all the programs because you know, the football money is always going to be there. Um, you know, Penn state has the best fans. Uh, and if you're looking at football fan bases, there's not a really good football program in the entire Northeast or mid Atlantic region. So geographically, uh, you know, Penn state dominant should dominate that, uh, that entire region. I'm sure we have a lot of fan, a lot of big football fans in the Maryland area, just because of all the players we get from there, um, in New Jersey, so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's the biggest strength in this NIL era is that Penn state has the largest alumni base, and I think, you know, the most passionate fan. So I think uh, this this era is going to benefit Penn State and you're going to be see some, you know, big things happening at Penn State within the next decade. Like, I think you're going to see us closing that gap to Ohio State on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because, I mean, all the pieces were there for Penn State to kind of not only maintain its relative like power level in college athletics overall, um, but to kind of like improve its standing in that regard. And I think it really just was going to take um, a concerted and organized effort to create the foundation for that to kind of grow and become anything that it possibly could be. And it kind of sounds like this new collective is uh, kind of fitting that mold. So I think that's, uh, that's a reason for all of us to be excited um, for the future of not only obviously our football program, but also our um, 31 other sports that uh, all – kick ass and you know their own unique ways i mean we we could talk all day about the accolades of of other sports i mean we um we're obviously going to be singing the praises of a couple of other sports here in this very episode so you know just to talk a little bit about how penn state um just dominates in um a lot of other ways in their athletic endeavors so um just exciting news overall so vince um that kind of wraps it up for football for me you got anything else 
Um, that's everything on the football front for me, but I think we should uh, talk some ball because there is some big basketball news uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so if you're uh, oh, yeah. listening to the podcast, we recorded on Wednesday, but if you're listening now, the NBA draft is tonight, Thursday night, 8 p.m. And uh, Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy both have an opportunity to be drafted. And this could be the first time in school history that Penn State has had two players drafted in the same draft. Uh, earlier, when I was looking at mock drafts a few months ago, uh, Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy did not uh, appear on, on the mock drafts, which is uh, really surprising to me. Uh, just seeing the things they did in the basketball court this season, I could see them, you know, having real um, NBA roles, and that's something, you know, that surprised me in in these mock drafts. And then I was still still kind of surprised to see them getting drafted later, uh, both in the second round. Uh, Seth Lundy was projected to go number forty one overall, with Jalen Pickett going at uh, forty five. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy? Do you think they will get drafted higher or lower? I think that 41 and 45 is uh, around like where I think I would predict both of those guys to go. Um, I think that we kind of knew from the jump uh, once the offseason started that like both of those guys had NBA potential. Uh, Seth Lundy especially um, really kind of seems like he's just molded for being a role player, uh, being that 3 and D guy, especially uh, with his size and with his athleticism and length. Um, so it, it really seemed that uh, that really manifested itself in the offseason uh, with the scouting combine. Um, saw a ton of love for him. And I mean, like Pickett, you know, he's just a guy that like as he gets more exposure, people just love him more and more. Uh, and that happened on the national stage as well. I mean, like he became like a meme slash sensation with booty ball. Everybody knew him going into the NCAA tournament uh, and stuff like that. So he was uh, continuing to get some love uh, from those pro scouts and at the combine as well. So I think they both did themselves a huge favor um, in the offseason performing as well as they did. Uh, we knew that they would, you know, because we know our guys. Um, so I'm, I'm just really looking forward to uh, both of those guys uh, kind of coming in um, and just repping Penn state at the next level. I think that uh, both of those guys are going to find themselves um, a good opportunity. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised to see some of some of the other guys up higher than them, especially in the big 10, like in the mocks I saw, I think they had like Kobe Buffkin going at like 13 and jet Howard was up there in the first round. Um, you know, Chris Murray from Iowa. So there was a lot of like, Jalen Hood Shafino uh, of both of them as well, along with uh, Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. So that's a lot of players in the Big Ten that are projected to go ahead of them. So to me, I think I think they both have potential to go late first round. I, I think they can get there, and I do have a a bold prediction, and I'll I don't know how bold it is now, you know, with someone else agreeing with me, but uh, I do think that Seth Lundy will will get drafted over Jalen Pickett. He is two years younger, I believe. So they'll like that he is younger. Um, he's on a, he's going to be okay. ready to win now. So he'll be, he'll fit in really well with a, you know, a team that has some players who can create their own shots. And then you'll have a, you know, Seth Lundy. He's a great catch and shoot three point shooter. And he can even do a dribble step back. So 
Uh, that's really difficult to do. He's really good at that. And along with that, he's a really great defensive player. So he can defend a lot of different positions. So I, I think he's going to be a really great role play, player in the NBA. And uh, I, I that's why I think I'll give him the edge over Jalen Pickett. But I do think Jalen uh, does have a good chance to go in the first round just based off his ability uh, and what he can do. I think he's not going to benefit from being able to back down smaller guards uh, in the NBA. You know, everyone's bigger, stronger, faster, and he'll have to be a little bit more creative in scoring. But I, I do think that he's going to have success. I think he can be a, a good backup point guard. And, and he's, he's also another guy who I expect to be on a, a win now team. When you look at mock drafts, a lot of these mock drafts have guys in like the, uh, the Ignite League and guys who are like 18, 19 years old. Uh, and they're going to these teams who aren't very good. And part of that is because um, they're not like the Philadelphia 76ers where they want to win now while Joel Embiid's window is short. They're, they're teams that don't have great star players and they're trying to build something over a long period of time. So that's why I think you might see them go a little bit lower. But those are, but in terms of talent, I, I, I think they're both first round guys. Yeah, I think those are some really solid points. And I, I think really the way that I would sum up my thoughts on Lundy versus Pickett as NFL or excuse me, NFL as NBA <laughs> prospects is that uh, Lundy seems to kind of be the guy that almost any team could find a role and a use for. Whereas Pickett kind of seems like, you know, an offense could be built around him. I mean, he's versatile and athletic enough that he'll fit whatever scheme you put him into, but we kind of know what he's best at, uh, in certain situations. So I think that he's like more of like a, like, um, like a higher ceiling kind of guy than Lundy. It would just kind of take like a specific circumstance, uh, for him to have that best success. So, you know, I think he's going to be successful wherever he goes. I just think that kind of the immediate allure of Lundy is a little bit higher. So, you know, I think that uh, your analysis is spot on. It'd be awesome if one, if either one of those guys went first round. I mean, that would just be epic because um, I can't even remember the last time that Penn State had a first rounder in the NBA draft. I mean, has it ever happened? I don't know. Maybe Calvin Booth, who is now uh, NBA <laughs> Finals champion with the uh, yeah. as he is the GM of the Denver Nuggets. It's a shame Kerry uh, didn't stick with his decision to stay at Penn State, but um, I know, know. really, ha really happy for Calvin to, uh, you know, bring home, uh, you know, uh, a trophy to uh, Penn State. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it's cool on multiple levels uh, with him being the head honcho of the Nuggets. That was their first trophy in franchise history, so that was really cool. Um, a part of me, it it stung to see the nuggets be so good in the playoffs because of the whole, you know, Joel Embiid discourse that's happening in Philadelphia yeah. right now. And Embiid Jokic debate. Yeah. <laughs> it exactly. never ends. Like it, it just got like, like a gallon of kerosene thrown onto that fire. Uh, so that is going to be raging on throughout the entire off season. Um, and so part of me is just like, Oh God, like why does he have to be so good? <laughs> like part <laughs> of me is like that, but Either way, um, yeah, I mean, just a, like a great run by that team. Um, it seemed to like a lot of the praise was directed Booth's way because of the way that he constructed the team, you know? So this is not like a blow the top off 
kind of team that's just going to beat you with like pure star power. Like there's plenty of great playmakers on that team, but you're not looking at like, uh, you know, big three on the heat type of superstar power. Like you saw with uh, LeBron Wade and, and Bosch, you know? So it just seemed like this was good, solid core of basketball players brought together by a very smart GM in Calvin Booth. Yeah, I and you see it. Uh, Jamal Murray, I think, is very underrated. He does a lot of good things for that basketball team. And, you know, Aaron Gordon, great athlete, uh, surrounded with shooters. So they got a really solid roster and kind of a, a sneaky good one seed. Uh, they almost remind you of the Bucks a little bit, how, like, everyone's like, huh, they're the one seed. And then they usually don't go super far once playoffs come around. But really cool to see them get it done in a Penn State win um, in an NBA Finals trophy. So. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Uh, there are some more Penn Staters that are doing some big things. Um, you know, the happy Valley Hoopers are going to be going to the, uh, the tournament where they're going that's to be right. playing some other teams, uh, for a $1 million, $1 million winner take all prize purse. Uh, this event is, uh, has some slightly different roles and in, in things of like time management. And I think they typically play first team to 82, um, I, I could be wrong, but they they construct it in a way so that way in at the end of the game, it's not coming down to just free throws and fouling. And it's kind of a new style of basketball just to keep the game more fast paced. That way you're not stopping for free throws and timeouts. So uh, really cool and kind of a fun story. Uh, John Hara is the captain of this team and kind of organizing the team. Uh, I actually uh, saw his backpack the other day. Do you want to hear that story? Yeah, I'd love to hear it because you sent me that picture and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I'm just hanging out at the State College YMCA, you know, working my job and, you know, I'm lifeguarding. So I'm just chilling there and I, I have my backpack on the ground in the, bake room, in the break room and I see this Penn State basketball backpack right next to mine and it has a 21 and it has hair on it. I'm like, there's no way John Hare is here. So I, I talked to my, my one coworker and, and he says, oh yeah, that's John Harris backpack. Uh, like my uncle got it for me. And I guess he said for Christmas one year, his uncle was like, okay, I can give you a duffel bag or a backpack for your gift. And he was like, well, that sounds kind of lame, but okay. And then it was like John Harris stuff. So <laughs> I don't that's know crazy. how he came in possession of it, but <laughs> kind of a funny story. But I guess he said his uncle's like a big Penn state basketball fan and, he said he had a um, a signed jersey. I forget who it was from. I think it was a maybe a Taylor Battle signed jersey. Oh, cool! Or someone okay. before him that was really good. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. So anyway, like I was like, oh, okay, like a kind of a fun story behind it. So you know, ran into John Harris back, not John Harris, but John Harris backpack the other day. So that was pretty yeah. cool, but he's going to be leading the, the happy Valley Hoopers. Some other members of that team are uh, truly beloved. Miles dread is going to be playing. So he'll be spacing the floor and hopefully knocking down some clutch threes. Uh, Sam Sessoms is also on the squad. Uh, he spent one, a uh, couple years at Penn state before uh, transferring to Copen state this past season. Uh, Trent Buttrick spent some time uh, with the Nittany Lions before going to UMass. Uh, Mike Watkins is back. Uh, John Reeves, he was a really good uh, you know, defensive 
player and got really good offensively towards the end of his tenure. Uh, Taylor Nussbaum, Curtis Jones Jr., uh, Shep Garner. So maybe we'll see Flavor Flav on TV. Uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, also on the squad, this this is a little controversial, uh, Jamari Wheeler. What are your Ooh, thoughts on Jamal, yeah. Jamari Wheeler rounding out the squad? No, 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 no. He lost that Happy Valley card. Uh, like he he threw that into the dumpster and lit it on fire. So I mean, there's got to be some some good freaking grace on the part of the rest of that team to just forget that past because we sure as hell are not going to forget it. Yeah. Now he did spend four years at Penn State, where I think Sam Sessom only had two. So you know there is some. And Trent Patrick did the same thing, but he went to UMass, which is not a rival. But yeah, Jamari Wheeler still rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, but you know, he gave us four good years. So I, I guess we'll let it slide. If John Harris lets it slide, I guess we can uh, let it slide as they uh, go into this tournament. the the first The first team they're playing is called the Nerd Team. So nice. I, it's going to be pretty embarrassing if we don't beat that squad. So hopefully, we can get uh, get get through them and get to the round of 32 because that'll be really embarrassing. If we lose to a team called the nerd squad, like this sounds like something out of the movie dodgeball. Like these are the names that (laughs) the teams in, in the movie dodgeball would have. Yeah. Um, absolutely wild. Um, so we talked a lot about in any line basketball, we had, you know, some NBA talk. We had some draft talk. We have the tournament. We also uh, got Coach Rhodes filling out his last scholarship roster spot. We got DeMarco Dunn, a guard out of North Carolina. Uh, this was a guy who was really, uh, you know, highly regarded in high school, big recruit, uh, you know, from the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, you know, so anytime you're getting a guy from UNC, uh, you know, it's a guy who's highly recruited. Um, my, I have some family who's some diehard uh, UNC fans and they said he was a you know really solid defensive player and he has the potential to be a good scorer too he's kind of inconsistent uh with his scoring but I believe when when you share that with me I think he's a six four six five guard somewhere around that range so really be really good to have uh, his size on the floor and if he can if he can put together um you know some offensive tools and make good use of his playing time. I think he could be a, a solid offensive weapon. Also, he's got his teammate Puff Johnson there. So they have a little bit of team chemistry and, you know, got two VCU guys. So hopefully that VCU UNC connection can, uh, you know, mesh well, and we can create some good offense for a uh, coach road squad as they uh, take their talents to the Bahamas in August. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's, uh, it's exciting from multiple angles. Uh, one just being that, we finally have a full basketball team again. So I think that's number one. You know, we're, uh, we, it seems like forever ago now that we were wondering where these guys were going to come from. And then Ace Baldwin Jr. committed and the rest just seemed to fall into place. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I think you're spot on. Um, I think that Rhodes has done a pretty good job of finding uh, some very quality players out of the transfer portal uh, from really great programs like UNC uh with this uh most recent edition and done um i think that uh you know i think that like we've talked about on past episodes it's it's really just going to come down to the season to really see like what is in store for us uh in 2023 2024 uh because 
we just don't know yet. You know, this is such a this is such a like patched together team that I don't think anybody is uh, going to know what to expect. So I'm just excited, you know, because we're uh, Penn State basketball, even though we did hit, you know, a bit of a speed bump with uh, Shrewsbury having the level of success that he did and then immediately bolting. I think that Penn State um, on the national level is still on an upward trajectory. So it'll just be kind of another interesting um, chapter in that recent history that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I think that's a good analogy. I, I think overall the, the trajectory is going to be upward over the next uh, five to 10 years for Penn state. I do think you're going to take a, a dip down. I'm not going to be expecting them to make the uh, NCAA tournament or, you know, win an NCAA tournament game, but I do, I do think uh, not this year, but the following year, you could kind of see them back there as uh, you know, Coach Rhodes is able to utilize his philosophies and you know break down film with the guys. The guys get another year in his system uh, to learn how he wants them to play together, and you know, getting new young talent too. I I think that's one of the more difficult things. Uh, and they say it takes five years to really build a program. Uh, Coach Rhodes has kind of been an anomaly almost. Is that like still true though in like this most recent era of like the transfer portal and NIL? Because I feel like that's like shrunk down now to like two or even one. But am I like, do you agree with that? Or do you still think it's still that like five year time frame? Like I'm like, I'm going to give coach Rhodes like four or five years to like, before I get a hundred percent being like, he's a good coach or he's not ready for power five basketball. Uh, j- just because like it, so much of it is talent acquisition and the ability to get good players. Like no one knew Jalen Pickett was going to be this like amazing player. Like he was the reason we, we got there. Like if we don't have Jalen Pickett we're we're not an NCAA tournament team and will Ace Baldwin Jr. Be that we, we don't know if he's going to be Hopefully. up to that level <laughs> and you know, you had a lot of great veterans that had been at Penn State for a long time, led by like Seth Lundy and, uh, you know, Miles Dredd. You had um, guys like Andrew Funk come in, who was amazing. Is Leo Boyle going to be that? Maybe. But like, it's it's one of those things where we, we don't know. And, uh, you know, we don't have, you know, Keba at center. So there's a lot of question mark at the, you know, the front court position. So it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, if we're throwing darts at a dartboard, that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're trying to figure out who's going to work, who's going to go in well with the system, who's going to, how are these guys going to mesh on offense? Defensively, I'm not super concerned, but offensively, uh, I am trying to figure out how this team is going to score, especially since there isn't a ton of outside shooting to space the floor. So that's something that concerns me, but, um, you know, time will tell. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, is going to give fans a lot of excitement, uh, coming up to this upcoming season. Yep. No doubt. Uh, it's just going to be, uh, interesting either way. (laughs) So, uh, we'll, we'll see which way the, uh, the coin falls, but, um, I don't have anything else on basketball. You got anything else, uh, on that front or do you want to talk some track and field? Yeah, before I think we'll save the best for last. So we'll save track and field uh, for the end. The uh, Nittany Nittany Lions women team got some big recruits uh, for women's soccer. So they got midfielder uh, Rowan Lappy from Northwestern. Uh, 
really solid player. And then also they got a transfer from Quinnipiac. I'm trying to scroll up here and find her name, but I think she led the NCAA in goals scored. And now she's mm-hmm. going to be on Penn state. Uh, so here we go. Quinnipiac forward, Rebecca cook transfers to Penn state women's soccer. So this is a, a really big deal. Uh, let me see here. Uh, let's... Yeah. So she, uh, original story. So she led division one goal scoring in the 2022 season and is now had in happy Valley and it's from Dublin, Ireland. So, uh, really cool story there. Um, so I think you're going to see some big things from, uh, women's soccer next year. So I think that's really exciting. And then we are on to the main event track and field the main uh, event, you know, the best sport there <laughs> is it. nothing better, nothing better. Uh, but the Nittany Lions had six All-Americans bringing home some hardware. We had some first-team All-Americans along with some second-team All-Americans. So I'll just pull that up really quick. Uh, first off, we had Tyler Merkley in the hammer throw. He threw the hammer 237 feet. Uh, that is his second time being an All-American. So absolutely in- incredible throw. You had, um, we had a second team All-American in the pole vault, uh, Tyler Snipes. Which that's an awesome name. Yeah. What, what a great name. I'm trying to get through the Instagram here and find it, uh, do it in the same order. Too many social media posts because they're doing so good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, so he got second team All-American, which is actually uh, relatively new. So typically top eight get All-American, but I guess they started doing second team All-American for the top 16. So uh, scrolling down here. Oh, here we go. Found the post. All right. So he was second team All-American Luke Knipe. That's his name, not Snipes. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be <laughs> a cool name though. So uh, Luke, Luke Knipe. Uh, he got second team all American. He was top 16. He got 15th in the nation. He pull vaulted over 17 feet. So like I jumped 12 feet off the ferry. That felt very high when I did a triathlon. Yeah. He went over five feet higher. So he went almost as high as me standing on top of the boat. That's just an insane amount to get your body over an obstacle. So really incredible performance there. Uh, also had some more, more things happen in the field. Mallory Kaufman put up a monster throw in the shot, but she threw a school record 59 feet, three quarters of an inch. Wow. To uh, get fourth place. Uh, she was a first team all American or a sixth place finish. So she was a first team all American while breaking the school record. Absolutely. An incredible throw. We also had some distance runners on there, which made me uh, really happy. That warmed my soul. The first one was Rachel Gearing. She had a second team All-American performance, and I thought she got a little robbed um, out of a first team All-American, and here's why. So I was watching her race, and the gun went off. I saw saw her go, and she got towards the front and was kind of leading the front the whole way. So to advance from the... Uh, preliminary round to the finals. Uh, what they had to do was get top two, I believe it was top two or top three. 
I think it was top three. And then the second heat, it was top three. And then they would take the next two fastest times. So if you are in a fast heat, you don't have to place as high. So she kind of got stuck in the front, just the way the race played out. So she had to break all that wind and she missed the finals by uh, one or two spots, I believe. So she was relatively close. And then the heat behind them, they had like the best runner and she just kind of went really fast. And she was probably, I think she won the NCAA title, but everyone else just kind of ran behind her and she kind of pulled around some of those other girls to the final. So I think uh, Rachel does have a really good chance to, uh, you know, be a, a second uh, or a first team all American. I'm not, I'm not sure if she has eligibility left, but if she does. I think she has a really good chance to do that. Uh, Haley kitchen also made it as a uh, true freshman. Uh, she didn't adva- advance to the finals, but uh, really awesome to see her there. She actually was the big 10 freshman of the year for outdoor and indoor track and field. And the first, she's the first person to do get that award in both indoor and outdoor track. So she had a really great season in the 800. Um, Faith DeMars, she ran the 5K. She ran a 16.09, which is a very fast time. There were some times when I ran a 5K, my time was not that fast <laughs> if I didn't have a good day. So she was 17th, just missed out on All-American by one spot. But she was the uh, mid-Atlantic track athlete um, of the year. So she won a big regional award. So that that was really awesome to see. And then moving on to the men, the men had some really exciting performances. Uh, Handel Robin, just like Haley, won the uh, Big Ten men's indoor and outdoor uh, Big Ten freshman of the year, along with winning um, athlete of the year in the the mid-Atlantic region for track and field. He finished third place as a true freshman in 145.95 for the 800 meters which if you're thinking, man, that's fast. Like, yeah, that's fast. Like that's getting close yeah. <laughs> to uh, making Olympic teams fast. And right. that's a, that's a little, little over 10 seconds. That's about 10.2 seconds or 10.1 seconds faster than my PR. So this guy is really, really fast. I'm really excited to see uh, what he can do in the upcoming year. And then also just by the skin of his teeth, um, he's from your at from your area, Andrew, around Lancaster, uh, Evan Dorenkamp. He went to Manheim Township uh, oh, nice. yeah. sc- school district, so that's uh, really close. He got in by the skin of his teeth, so he he didn't get those top three automatic qualifying spots. He ran a 340-1500, and my PR is a 356, so he ran 16 seconds faster, so one, pa- one second faster per 100, and got in by .02 seconds to get into the wow. final. Wow. So, and then he had a good race in the final. He ran 344 and then was able to get eighth place for that last first team All American spot. So that was uh, awesome to see uh, him have a really good performance. So, yeah, that rounded up our uh, six Big Ten or Penn State All Americans. You also had uh, Mallory Kaufman. She got the uh, the Field Athlete Award in the uh, the Mid Atlantic region. So just a lot of awards going around for Penn State track and field, a lot of good young talent. So I'm really excited to see uh, where this program is going to head into the future under uh, Coach Gondak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, th- I couldn't sum it up any better. Uh, um, just Penn State doing some big Penn State things. And 
uh, based on what you've kind of shared throughout the duration of the season, really seems like this is another program that's uh, kind of on the rise in certain ways, uh, really kind of checking some boxes that uh, they seem to always do well. And like you made the, the comment that uh, uh, Penn State can almost be considered like mid-distance you or mid-you. Yeah, they are to me uh, for sure. Yeah. One, the pen, you win the pen relays you're mid, in the four by your mid-distance you. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So I think that though, you know, Penn State having uh, this level of success on on the national stage is uh, is obviously huge. So um, I think that uh, we'll just be looking forward to seeing what's uh, what's going to be next for them uh, next season. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, track is another passion of mine, so it's really fun to see them doing well there too. And it's really cool too because we, I actually get to share the track with them. Uh, Coach Gondak and the track program are awesome. They let members of our community uh, run on the the indoor mile series there, so they're very generous to let us have a race before they start their uh, meet. So again, love the track and field program there. Uh, you know, great program and happy to, happy that they're making big contributions to the uh, Penn State community. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, so I think that we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, this is kind of a jam packed episode with a lot of stuff. Um, kind of two and I, one. So we had to give the yeah. fans a longer episode because we, we deprived them of one last week. So this one will be a <laughs> little bit longer. That's right. So if you guys want to break it up into two segments, probably the football would be our halfway point and <laughs> can yeah, go well, on from there. We'll include timestamps in the uh, in the show notes if you want to jump around to stuff. But I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you don't listen to Vince's spirited uh, overview and summarization of the track and field All Americans because it's uh, it's truly a learning experience, or at least I think it is. But uh, Vince, I don't think I have anything else uh, for this pod. You got anything else on your side? Yeah, I, th- I think that's enough for today. Thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review so other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time.